9, and then 32 through 38. Again, 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, it has to be. Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and is determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. This is the word of the Lord. Can I get the light, Frank? All the lights. Just get all the lights. Let's just get all the lights. Great. See, some bright. Okay, um, this is the first message on our series on marriage and pre-marriage. That's maybe the way I'd like to put it. Um, or maybe to, these first couple mar- uh, service sermons are actually really going to be um, about singleness. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about pre-marriage. Some of you may never even get married, and um, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's partly what I'm going to talk about today. But right here out of the chute, I've got a big message for you. I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to get to all of it. I've got to watch the clock here. Um, and, but uh, before I get into this message, I want to just say a little something about the series. Um, some of you who are, who are married, it's uh, a lot of the things we're going to talk about in this. The, the marriage is a, is a complex subject. And um, some of you, if you've been married even just a short period of time, you already realize Wow, I, I didn't know about some of this stuff. Um, why are some things in our married life not working? Or we have certain problems that we've kind of bumped up into, and we don't seem to be able to get around them or get over them. And there are probably many things that you didn't realize that, um, that you need to learn. Um, I, I find that in our society, there is just actually just huge gaps of just knowledge, uh, just sheer pieces of ignorance about marriage itself. And um, so for those of you who are married, this hopefully today, this will really help bless your marriage. And uh, maybe you'll learn something somewhere in this, and I'm quite, hope, I'm, I'm quite certain most of you will learn something 
that will bless your marriage. So that's, it's obviously quite relevant in this manner. But other, other ways to think about this is, I hope you don't only think about this in the sense that what am I going to get out of this? Um, there are a lot of you who are single, and you're thinking, well, I'm not married, and I don't plan to get married for a long time. What, is, what am I supposed to get out of this, Pastor? Um, well, let me say a couple things. One is if you do want to get married, uh, I think that even if you don't get married for five, six, seven, maybe even ten years from now, um, I hope that you will think about this, is that in, the, in, the, in, in a healthy and a strong society, you know what a healthy and strong society has? Good marriages. Every strong and healthy society is built on strong families. And you know what's at the center of the family? It's not money. It's not kids. It's not house. It's not a job. It's a marriage. The marriage is the foundation of every family. And so you may think, if my kids are doing well, they're doing great, we have a good family. Not true. If your kids look like they're doing well, they get really good grades, and they're healthy, and they seem to have nice friends, but your marriage is in trouble, they're in trouble. <laughs> so that's one of the first things I want you to understand is that marriage is really, it's more than just about me and somebody else and we get along and we're having a happy life together. It's about, it's actually really the foundation of the family itself and it's really the foundation of people finding their identity. <laughs> so. It's, it's hard to uh, think about this, but a marriage is all these different things. Just to give you just a, a quick little snippet. Um, every girl or boy, when they're young, whether they're 2, 8, or 15, you know what they're always thinking about? What kind of a man am I going to be? What kind of a woman am I? What's a good woman? What's a good man? Man and woman, a man and woman, it's fundamentally, I know this is hard for people to think. We just think, I know what a, a man is, I know what a woman is. Um, a man and a woman were always meant to be in relationship with each other in a certain way. They're supposed to complement each other in a certain way, which I will get into. And I can't say everything in this message, but we're going to unpack all this over the course of the next, well, I think about 10, well, 12 weeks. I think we have a 12-week series. So this is a big subject. And so um, I hope that you'll think about this is that not only is... Even if you yourself don't get married, you're around lots of other married people. So you're single. How that you will have, you will gain wisdom, and you will treat other people and help other people's marriages. Even if you yourself aren't married, and of course, if you are, um, if you want to get married one of these days, so we'll help you. And but even if you never get married, I hope that you will be a blessing constantly throughout your life. You you may be 18 today. <laughs> But at some point, you may be 38 and 58 and 78, and you'll be around all kinds of married. And even if you never get married, and you're 78 years old and you're not married, um, by the way, which is nothing wrong with that, that you will thank all these people around you that you will know how to bless them. You can actually see, oh my goodness, this couple that I really love, they have a huge hole in their marriage, but they don't know about it. Really common today. They have a huge gaping hole in their marriage but they have no clue. <laughs> they have no clue that they're doing it wrong. And I, I see this everywhere. And so I'm not trying to scare any of you, but like one of the first things I do when anybody comes into our church and I start getting to know them is I start taking the temperature of their marriage. I just start seeing how they interact with each other. Just something even simple like how they sit next to each other. So I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but like if I sit next to each other and their body language, if they sit next to each other and their body language 
is that if they're completely cold to each other, I'm like, they're in trouble. <laughs> or how about they never sit next to each other? That's, that's a huge indicator. <laughs> uh, husband and wife, they walk in, and they don't ever even sit next to each other in church <laughs> before God. That's an indicator. So they don't even have to say anything to me, and I'm looking at them going, big, bad indicator. <laughs> Their marriage, and if I were to, if I'm a betting man, but I'm not a betting man, I would say they're probably not going to make it. And so I just see this because I've learned much of the stuff, which is God's wisdom, and that's what we're going to get into in this message. So that's, that's a bit of a hook, okay? Three points today. Part one, um, loneliness, over-desire, and romance idolatry. So um, I'm going to talk about all those. Loneliness, over-desire, and romance idolatry. Part two, freedom in singleness. Yes, yes. You can be single and not unhappy about it. <laughs> okay? Uh, some people are like, is that, can, is that actually possible? It is possible. It is very possible. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in part two. And part three, um, union with Jesus Christ. That's the real promise that will really enable everything. Union with Jesus Christ. So let's get to part one. Um, I have to give you a little bit of a confession. I, I cheated. It's actually not cheating, but we had a text re um, read, and you know, this, this yesterday I was batting this back and forth. Am I going to have both of these passages read or just one? If I, I should have had two passages read. And so, um, in order for you to understand the passage that was read, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and by the way, I didn't even have the whole chapter. The whole chapter is about marriage. And there's no way the whole chapter can be done justice in one message. So I really just cherry-picked certain portions that were relevant to the issue of singleness, because that's really what I want to talk about today. Today we're really talking about singleness. And, um, but in order to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 7's discussion about married versus single, particularly being single, you have to understand its background. And there is no way that a, a deeply biblically steeped mind like Paul would say the things he said about singleness unless you first understand that he has a deep fundamental assumption about what it means to be a man and a woman in, in deep relationship with each other, this deep relationship that we call marriage. And so you got your Bible or you can grab a pew Bible um, or if you got your phone, you can go to, uh, go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to unpack this a bit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And this, our society doesn't know. <laughs> this is what is absolutely basic, and just if our society even understood this, there's so many things that our society is doing right now to break and destroy marriage. If they knew this and they believed this, there's so many foolish things that are happening in our society that are so bad for marriage and family and for manhood and womanhood and identity formation and adulthood and maturation, all these different things that are necessary so that people can flourish. Um, so... Here we go, Genesis chapter 18, I mean, chapter 2, verse 18. So this is the word of God. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. 
That's, it's, that's, uh, the Old Testament has this way of just saying these one sentences, and it doesn't seem like much. Oh, there's like a huge world. This is one of them, right? It is not good that the man should be alone. He's talking, so up to this point, um, so God has created everything. And I want to just give you a little background on this. God has created everything. After he made every, everything, he would make the stars. It's good. <laughs> he would make day and night. And then we call this thing called day. And then he said, that's good. He made the oceans. He made the land. He made every little creeping thing that creeped upon the earth. That's the way the Bible put it, right? It says, it's good. So everything was made good. And it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he says, at the end of this day, it was very good. <laughs> Creation was made good. And then there's something really stunning. It says it is not good. And up to this point, God has made man, and there's only one human being, and his name is man. And you're like, I thought his name was Adam. <laughs> his name is Adam. Adam means man. It's kind of strange, isn't it? So there's an interesting plan where his name is Adam, which means man, which means his name is man, okay? <laughs> And then it says, it is not good that Adam or man should be alone. So then what he says, I will make him a helper fit for him. And again, here we say, here's another one of these things. One sentence, a whole world. <laughs> and so what Adam did was he looked at um, all the different creatures that were out there and it's not good that he's alone. Now, up to this point, understand, he's not sinned. He has not rebelled against God. There is no evil in the world. None. The world is utterly innocent and pristine and beautiful. Good, 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 good. Very good. One thing that's not good that God, even though he made it everything good, he said, wait a second. That's not quite what he said, but he said it should, he shouldn't be alone. So then Adam looked at every different creature that was on, in creation. That's the way the Bible puts it. And there was no creature that was there that could fit, that is fit for him. Literally, the word there in the Hebrew, it's, it's an odd word. It means the opposite of him which fits him. That's really what it means. It's really, it, it's sort of like, he, it, it, it's not really him. It's the same as him, but different than him. <laughs> okay, so it's, it really means something like, but the opposite, which fits. And so then God says, that's what I'm going to make. I'm going to make someone which is really the same as him, but really the opposite of him, which fits him. Isn't that, I know that's a mouthful, but that's that one word. That's what it means. And then he goes on to say, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So God didn't name all the creatures. Man did. Hmm? The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. There's that phrase again. Very important. Anytime the, the way the Old Testament, it's actually, to us, it feels very understated. Whenever something is important, it just, it's repeated. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Let me pause for a moment there. Two points, all right? Um, 
you guys all know who's, who's coming here, right? <laughs> all right? Uh, you guys know the woman is coming here. And so some people, I don't want to get into a whole scientific debate about this here. Did, did God literally make him out of the rib? I mean, I'm not going to get into this whole question about this, okay? Two points that's really important. A woman is made of the same stuff as man. It's not a different species. Same stuff. That's what, partly what the rib means. What is the other thing that it's important about the rib? The rib is she comes alongside. I said this in another message. Not below him, not on top of him, but alongside of him. In one sense, very equal to him. But in another sense, having a different role from him, which in this sense is to come and help him. So that's the next thing I want to say. All right? So, so... And the rib, back to, uh, this is where we had verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, made of the same stuff as me. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I'm not really saying this, reading this right. Um, this is Hebrew poetry. He sang this. <laughs> or he, he, he just broke out into poetry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, uh, I know he's a very controversial figure to do. When I was growing up, um, he, was, he was one of the most beloved co uh, comedians and most beloved TV dads. His name is Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby's uh, commentary on this passage was um, he... Adam looked at the woman and said, whoa, man. <laughs> and that's how she got her name. Because <laughs> he was so astounded and so, you know, um, and so, like, enraptured by what God had made for him. So, um, and that, by the way, let me just say this. To this day, you know, I, you know maybe not when, when, a, when a boy is like five years old, you know, looks at a girl and he goes, gross. Okay, but then when he hits about 12, 13, 14, he, he has that whoa man experience. <laughs> so um, that's what happened, okay? It was the whoa man experience, all right? Um, and it says, therefore, here we go, huge verse. A man shall leave his father and mother. So understand everything, verse 18 on. It's not good that the man should be alone. Now, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Will become united to his wife. Will become glued, hold fast. You know, like you hold and it's like it's held fast together. It's, okay, let me, re, let's say, let me say it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be glued to his wife. To be glued. They're, they're, like, they're like tied together and they're glued together. They're held fast together. And it's, it's a permanent glue. Okay, it's permanent. It's, that's marriage. That's the definition of marriage right here. That's marriage. And they shall become one flesh. They shall become one unit. They shall become a new compound. That's marriage. No longer are they two. They shall become one. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, which is another way of saying, and they absolutely flourished. 
They absolutely flourished. They understood each other. They knew each other. There was no barriers. There's not even close. There's no utterly no barriers. And nakedness is not even just about the, the physical nakedness. The man can look at the woman, and of course, if he's a naked woman, he's going to go, whoa, man, all right? But more than that, he's going to look deep into her soul because she's naked, and he's naked. He's naked, soul naked, and they will utterly know each other, and there'll be no shame. Isn't that, isn't that great? That's a segue into why I want to talk about this. Um, it is... Our society doesn't understand that, um, well, they can feel this thing. We can feel this thing. But there's deep confusion in our society even about this, this issue of alone versus lonely. <laughs> alone versus lonely. There's a difference, by the way. Alone just means you're by yourself. Lonely means that being by yourself, you feel profound lack. Okay, do you understand the difference? Now, in general, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. You know what that means? That every single human being was made to have a deep relationship with somebody else. And let me say, put this even more um, pointedly. Um, the reason there's two different ways of being human is because if you're a man or if you're a woman... The, the sheer fact, the facticity of manhood and womanhood means that there is not a completion of the human life without the other side. <laughs> that for people to generally, generally, to feel complete, you need the opposite which makes you complete. <laughs> the opposite which is like you, but which is different in you, which completes you. <laughs> and without that, it is not good. Without that, it is not good. And that's why the vast, vast majority of human beings, I'm going to get this into, okay? The vast majority of human beings, you're not just alone. And until you're married, you don't just, you're not just alone. You always feel lonely. You feel alone and you feel lonely. Why? Because God designed there to be a deficit. He designed the deficit. He designed there to be a space, a hole inside your heart. It's a really big, huge space. And the only person that could fit it is somebody that is glued to you and is different and opposite of you. So there's like a space. Like If you're fit a certain way, then there's going to be someone else who's going to fit a certain way. And it goes like this. So... Right out of the chute, let me just t touch on, on, on a really controversial issue. Can a man marry a man? The answer is no. Can a, man, a woman marry a woman? The answer is no. Is that because God is just arbitrary and mean? No. Because God says that if I made you a man, actually, I actually made another very blessed creature. Only she who is different can complete you. If you're a woman, you're actually made to go and complete someone else. <laughs> That's actually the teaching of the Bible. And I know some people go, oh, this is just another fairy tale book, it's a mythological book. We're, this is what we're gonna, what's going to happen in our society. <laughs> um, a lot of people think that marriage is just an, is an evolutionary adaptation. So we're just molecules, 
and we're just one species among many other species, and for some reason we have this thing called loneliness, and so we just kind of invented this idea that you have to permanently be with this other person. And so somewhere in the late Bronze Age or the Iron Age or who knows what age back then, we invented this idea, and since we invented it, we can change it. The answer is not true. That is not true. Marriage is not an institution invented by human beings. It is from God. It is from God. And it is from God to fill a lack which he deliberately created. And I want to say, say one more thing. The woman represents one who is, who is like us, but who is different than us, who is the other. There's a, a, the other with, let me put it, a capital, a very special other. So she is the same, but she's mysteriously different. And only when you meet that person who is the same but different <laughs> in all the right ways, and you respect that difference, and then you meet and meet, and then you are in union, someone who is mysteriously other, then you can be complete. What God is doing here, and I'm going to say a little something about this later, he's making a mirror so that in the very creation itself, the way he made creation, in the creation itself, really what he's doing is he's making an echo to the fact that human beings can never be complete until we meet someone who is other. I'm just going to give you a big hint, hint, hint. All human beings can't be complete until we meet a certain other, a very big other, <laughs> named God. What does male and female about, and what is marriage about? It's really not, at the deepest thing, it is really not even about a man meets a woman, boy meets girl, and they love each other for the rest of their life. That's really not even what it's about. I know that's wild. Right? Is that there's going to be a human being, and a human being cannot be complete until the human, the mass of people called humans, is not complete until they meet the most profound other who is different but can complete them. And that is God. That right here, when God, Genesis chapter 2, this is wild, I know this is wild. Genesis chapter 2, God is saying, I'm going to tell you why I made all human beings so I can marry you. That's why God made us. God made human beings so that he could complete us. And, at the, and until we can be completed by someone who is other than us, but we're, he's like us or we're like him. That's the image of God. We're like him. We're somehow kind of like God. But mysteriously, obviously, we're not like him. That's what male and female is about. And then this drama, this thing that we call marriage, marriage is actually a picture and that most profound drama itself, that we are not glued, we are not united to the one who can only com truly complete us and fill, that, fill this loneliness inside of us. Huh? Let me say two other points before I go to part two. Um, we're living in a society now where people can feel the aloneness and loneliness. In fact, some of you feel it with a raw pain, I know. For most people, it's sort of this gnawing, aching thing. It's like being hungry. <laughs> it's like being hungry. 
So when you're hungry, you, you can feel this emptiness. And, but you guys all know the difference between being kind of hungry, you know, 3 o'clock hungry. There's 3 o'clock hungry. At 3 o'clock, you're hungry. And at 3 o'clock, you down a candy bar. <laughs> or you can eat an apple. But if you haven't eaten and it's 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, there's 9 o'clock hungry. <laughs> at 9 o'clock, it's like a raw, like, <laughs> you won't eat anything. <laughs> You're like, that looks like food. <laughs> that looks like food. I eat that. And if you haven't eaten until the next day, now you're getting ravenous. And there are people today, that's what it's like. It's one thing to be 14 years old, right? But it's another thing that maybe you're 38 years old or 58 years old. Especially if you're 38 years old, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody here today. I'm just, so please, I'm trying to be. It's one thing to be 14 years old. That's like 3 o'clock hunger. <laughs> there's 38 years old, and there's some people who are 38 years old and saying, I hunger for this to be filled. And then when you hit 38, you're like, I'll just take anybody. <laughs> it looks like food. <laughs> okay. And so... Today in our society, what we have is there is a, a, a loneliness and a loneliness so powerful. It is so powerful. There's profound over-desire for marriage. And there's great fear. You get both. When something becomes too big, it really becomes this thing which either completely owns us or, or um, we're just afraid. So we run away from it. Because... It, it's, it has to be so right. But if we get this wrong, won't this hurt so bad? And so we're afraid. And by the way, you, you see this with 14-year-olds too. The 14-year-old, there's the 14-year-old boy. He meets that girl. Or he sees that girl. He doesn't even meet her because he's too afraid to meet her. And she's just the right pretty. She's just the right voice. And sometimes it's really odd. She's not even that pretty. <laughs> you ask her, so who's the girl you, you, you like? And then you see her and you're like, really? <laughs> really? Or you ask, who's that boy you like? Who's that boy you like? Really? <laughs> he, he, he's not the captain of the football team. Of course, like for a lot of the girls, he, you know, she, he is the captain. Of the, he's the quarterback. But for a lot of them, like, he's a scrawny kid. You like that kid? But... There's something about his voice. There's something about his demeanor, and it calls out. It calls out, right? And that's what it's like. But so, but because he's the perfect boy, or they think, or he, she's the perfect girl, they won't even go talk to him or her because they're afraid. But by the way, this isn't a 14-year-old thing going on. This is, I see, 25-year-olds doing this, 35-year-olds doing this, 45-year-olds doing this. And so... Um, there, there's, there's inordinate desire for the perfect marriage. But because the perfect marriage is, has to be so perfect, there is just tremendous fear. That's what's happening in our society. That's where I see it. And guess where it comes from? It all comes from Genesis chapter 2, 18. It is not good. Not good. And since we have no wisdom from God... God says it is not good, and then he gave an answer for it. He made an answer for the not good, and that's marriage. But since 
we are breaking this. And since we, there's a lot of people that go, I don't want God, and I don't want God's word, and I think this is just, you know, a bunch of stupid, you know, fairy tale stuff that, that, that a lot of religious people made up. Um, we ignore this stuff, but actually it's, it, it, it's tremendously um, helpful. And so, um, inordinate desire, and so what we have is over-desire, and it, and it just comes out. You can't tamp it down. You cannot squish it down. So in all these movies today, you have romance, and romance is a thing. I'll just be completed. You complete me. You know, as Tom Cruise said in, um, in, uh, in uh, Jerry Maguire, at the end of the day, it's like, that's like the line that like just, it's you complete me, he says to Renee Zellweger, all right? And then every woman who watches that movie starts crying. If she doesn't cry out loud, she's crying inside, okay? <laughs> so I'm not a crier, but you're crying inside, we know, okay? Then, and so you complete me. That's Genesis chapter 1, 218 through 225. 225 is, and they were naked and not ashamed. That's you complete me. So our society, so in secular movies, they're still trying to go from Genesis 2.18 to 2.25. <laughs> right? And it's marriage. But how do we get there? Oh. All right. Let's go to part two. And I've already ran out of time, running out of time. So I'm going to have to say this quickly. I'm going to say this quickly. And I'll, I guess I'm going to have to pick this up next week. Okay? I'm going to say something very quickly, which is profound. And I'll pick it up next week. And um, again, so... Let's go to uh, freedom in singleness. So this is a really important point, and um, and I will have to do more justice this next week. But let me just uh, say something really important, and here it is in the Bible, First Corinthians chapter seven. So First Corinthians chapter seven. Here's how he puts this, verse six. Now as a concession, not a command. Hear the difference. A concession, not a command. I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. In other words, I wish everybody was single. It's an odd thing to say. But each has his own gift from God, one of you one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Isn't that odd? In chapter 2, 18 of Genesis, he says, it is not good to be single or to be alone, right? But here he says, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's what he says. Um, Let me jump down. Um, What was the verse? All right. First. Oh, gosh. Okay, now to the betrothed. No, 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 that's not it. What verse was it? 30 32. Okay, there's a verse there. Um, Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. Okay. Um, is Is that, I hope that sounds very relevant. There are a lot of people that I know, they're single. They're filled with anxiety. By the way, 
I just assume when I meet a single person, they're filled with anxiety. <laughs> I just assume that now, especially as they grow older. Especially as they grow older. It's like I said, you, there's 14-year-old there's, um, hunger, and then there's 38-year-old hunger. There's 3 o'clock hunger, and then there's 9 o'clock hunger. So the older they get, they're getting toward 9 o'clock hunger. And if that hunger is not being filled, there's deeper and deeper anxiety. That's the word he uses. But anxiety in a lot of different ways. I want you to be free from anxiety, verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. He's talking about a Christian, obviously, right? But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. Like I said, you know, short verses that mean a lot. <laughs> um, not a command, but a concession. Not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order, but to promote blessed order but to promote your benefit and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, what's betrothed? To the person you promised to marry. Today that would be um, engaged, but back then engagements could be really long. Betrothed could actually mean today to the person you're dating, to the person you're dating seriously. So the person you're supposed to marry. So betrothed is a, is a big category back then. I mean, you could have been betrothed to be married to someone when you were five years old. You could be meeting a woman and dating her. Today we would call it dating her. Getting to know her for several years. That's the person you're supposed to get married. That's betrothed. That's the way it worked back then. And so they didn't have this category like we do today. Like today they say, Hey, let me ask you out for a date. See if I like you. See if the romance sparks. And see if we'll get married. Back then, they only did it, if you were seriously going to get married, you would get to know somebody. And then, as we're saying, we're getting to know each other. Then they would call that the betrothed. That's the way they did, that's what they called it. Or, very common, parents were involved. Family was involved. And says, we, we've met somebody, and we think their daughter would be a really good person for you to get married. Why don't you get to know them? That getting to know process, different families, different times, might take a long time. It might be three months. It might be three years. <laughs> it might be 15 years, because it would happen when you're 15 and you don't get married until you're 25 or 30. Interesting. <laughs> but they realized that actually you're incomplete and it's not good that you're alone. And what answers that marriage? But he says, until you're married... If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, I want to pause there. You do not feel a necessity to get married. <laughs> being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, 
to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. In other words, don't get married. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrained from marriage will do even better. Weird. <laughs> What's he talking about here? Um, if in order to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you must understand that Paul absolutely assumes Genesis chapter 2. Paul understands that almost every man and woman, 90%, 95%, whatever that number is, 80%, I don't know what that number is, but the vast majority, it is not good that they're alone. <laughs> Most people need marriage. But what's he saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? He says, I wish everybody was like me, but different people have different gifts. You know what singleness is? If you don't feel a need to get married, it's a gift. And it's actually a really amazing gift. A wonderful, wonderful gift. And here's why. He says a single person can really be focused on the biggest thing there is, God. God's glory, God's gifts, God's beauty, God's kingdom, pleasing God, serving God, being loved by God. But a married person has a lot of other things to worry about. So I want you to be free of all anxieties. As your pastor today, I want to say this. I want people who are single to be free of the anxiety. I have to get married or everybody thinks I'm, I'm, I'm incomplete. I have to get married or otherwise I'm incomplete. Or I have to get married. Uh, no, actually the Bible is the most freeing book there is. Right here in 1 Corinthians chapter, I wanted to read this for you so you could hear it from God, not from just some person's opinion. So I want to speak specifically to single people today right now. Right now, I'm speaking to single people. I want you to hear this. If you're not married, you're not deficient, please. Right? Our society thinks you're not married, and especially you know, ours is a, is, is a predominantly Asian church. Asian folks think that the family is everything. <laughs> it's just the family is everything. If you're not married, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's the way people talk. I mean, some of you, I'm sure you know, you, maybe you have a parent or you have an aunt or an uncle, grandparents who talk to you, and they, they may not exactly say it, what I just said, but that's kind of the feeling. Maybe you've actually, have, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you're 30 years old. You're 35 years old. You're not married. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know what you could say? Nothing. <laughs> From God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, mom, dad, nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> nothing is wrong with me. There's nothing deficient about me. God made me, and guess what? I'm fine. Can you say that? Here's the problem in our society. There's like multiple things going on. The majority of people need to be married. How do you know if you need to be married? Do you burn with passion? That's what he says. If you burn with passion, get married. <laughs> so I think there's, a, let me talk about the passion in both ways. If you feel like you need that other person, you need that other person. That means you're not even talking about, so you just feel alone and lonely. You feel lonely. You know what you need? You need to get married. If you feel lonely all the time and you regularly daydream about romance and you like seeing romance, movies again and again and again, you're, you're burning with passion. So, okay, now the other one that most people think about is you're burning for sexual desire. Okay, that's, that's part of it too. 
But by the way, those two things aren't exactly the same thing. Um, the 14-year-old boy can long for a girl, and it's not even about sex. He just knows that she has a beauty which is opposite of him but different than him, the longing for the other. Really, that's all it is. Um, CS, I, uh, I've been reading C.S. Lewis, Four Loves, and he has a whole chapter on eros. Eros is romantic love. But then he, he actually makes a distinction. He says it's not even necessarily about sex. He says the old uh, vision of sex is Venus because there's eros and there's Venus. They go together, but they're not exactly the same. But if you have either, if you burn with passion because you, you gosh, I just, I, I want to have sex. Or you feel that romantic lonely, typically women want the romance more and guys want the sex more, right? Typically, okay? But not always. There's ten, plenty of girls who are just like, I just want, gosh, right? And um, that's, 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 there's girls that are like that. There, and then, of course, there's plenty of guys that are like that. But there's lots of guys that are very romantic. And really what they want is a lover, not necessarily with sex. They don't mind. They're like, I want this girlfriend. And if we don't have sex for like two years, I'm, I'm good because I really want a lover more than sex. You need to get married. That's like 90 plus percent of the population right here. That's Genesis chapter 2. But what's 1 Corinthians chapter 7? If God hasn't given this to you yet, then please know that you're not second class. Right now, you have a gift that's a gift of singleness. You're like, it doesn't seem like much of a gift. I don't like this gift. <laughs> There's actually a gift, and that is the gift to not have to please your spouse. To be free and unencumbered, to be able to pursue life and grow as a person, find the, the, the most beautiful things in the world, which is in the most beautiful thing in the world is God and his kingdom and his ways. So pursue that, please. And then there are certain special people who are, you don't feel this need for Eros or Venus. You don't feel that hunger. Now you have a really special gift. And you have a gift that you could be single for all of your life. Those are really special people. They're not deficient people. And in our society, they say, oh, they're just gay. They don't even know it. No, they're not. They're actually just special people. They're really beautiful people given a really beautiful gift from God. And they can be single and not gnawing away at, like, hunger. There are people who can be 58 and not have 9 o'clock hunger. They're not hungry. They're just not hungry. They're fine because they're filled with more. And they're wonderful. I wish we would have people like that so that we can let people know. And I wish all the Asians would just stop it. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's odd, right? I wish all the Asian cultures would just stop that, that there is this place. And so in our culture, like, you either, everybody could be single and then you're single. And then so what we have in our society is just brokenness from the single side. I'm just living for me. I'm just living for me. I'm just living for me. If you live for you, and can't love other people, that's the other way of being broken. But there is a way of being from God and living for him and loving other people. You could be single or whether you're married. All right, I'm talking too much. Let me close with this message. Ah, right. 
This is the most important part, but I have to do this in two minutes. All right, I gave you a hint on the front end, all right? There's a man and there's a woman. Let me say something about this. There's a lot of single people who say, if I just get married, everything will be great. Not true. I have a really good marriage. Actually, I, I don't mean to boast like this. I can compare my marriage to a lot of other marriages. I meet a lot of marriages. I suspect that Grace and I have a top 10% marriage, maybe a top 5% marriage, maybe. I don't think it's a top 2% marriage. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure we're a top 10% marriage. So we are not ahead of the curve. We're not above average. We're way above average. We're in the A category. I don't, I'm not, I don't say that to boast. I think that's just objectively true. Okay? That, I have a really good marriage. And we might be in the top 5%. So we're like closer to the A plus range. So we may be close to A plus. Let me tell you something. So I can say this from personal experience. No one woman or one man can fully fill you. In a good marriage. Even in a great marriage. So, even in a great marriage. And so, and for those of you, and you know it's the other way around too. There are some people who are married today and they're in a bad marriage. And if you're in a bad marriage, and um, you can know that you can feel more alone in a bad marriage, more lonely. You're married, but you feel more lonely than ever. That can happen. That's a very terrible tragedy. So even though you may be married or you're not, so if you're single, please stop thinking that it's going to solve everything. Okay, stop watching like every crazy romance thing. I'm, I'm, my, my wife and I just started watching a Korean, Korean drama. It's called Boys Over Flowers. It is crazy how intense the romance idolatry is. It's like everything about it is like, if I just meet the soulmate, it'll just be everything. I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, I, I, like every, every other episode, I tell my wife, I'm like, I can't take it. I can't take it. <laughs> I can't take it. <laughs> and, uh, but my wife thinks it's so cute, and she keeps watching it, and then she wants me to watch it so that she can enjoy this experience with me. And like, so like, there's a part of me that's like going like, I'm like, you know, like I want to scratch the chalkboard or something, you know, while watching this thing. But at the same time, it's like it's moving, and it's like it like drives me crazy. I like the reason I'm saying all these things to you is the human being, all human beings, were made for an other, which is better than a man, and better than a woman. God made us to be different than Him, but He made us to complete Him. God said. I'll make a helper fit for you. But then I will send you a helper which will really complete you. And the one who helped us the most is a guy named Jesus. He was like us, made of the same stuff as us, as human. Oh, but he was so different. <laughs> he was the other. And he took, put all our, all our loneliness and all our hurt and all our idolatries, and all our fears, and even though we're like chasing after him in a lot of different ways, you don't know it. You don't know it, but you're looking for a face that will complete you, and that face's name is Jesus. The most special people who are the most free and who have this gift of singleness, they know, and they've met this face of Jesus, whether are men or women. I mean, um, Actually, the Catholics understand this better than us. They had special orders with people who are just, 
Some were, they have special orders and they took vows of chastity and for the whole life they just said, I'm just, I belong to Jesus and that's it. And so, um, I hope that some of you, whether you're married or whether you're not married, the union that will fill you the most, the other that will complete you is God. And God who made himself to be like us to complete us is Jesus. And if you're a spouse and you're married, when you have Jesus, you'll become a better husband and wife than you ever thought. And if you're single, you can be more filled and happy in being single than you ever thought, only in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, there is so much to say, but... I pray you would take these stumbling, bumbling lips of mine and um, you would say what needs to be said today. And um, Jesus is better than any woman. Jesus is better than any man. And when you made, it sounds kind of strange, but you made someone so that you would come and fill us. You made man or you made Adam, you made the human being And then you said, actually, it's not good that the human being is alone. I will send you a helper. One that is like you, made of the same stuff as you, but is actually opposite and different than you and most glorious. The one that we will just say, whoa. Actually, we say other things than whoa. We say glory. Hallelujah. Praise. So we say words that don't even make sense. Hallelujah. (laughs) We'll meet the one who came to help us, to complete us. And we thank you for the most greatest helper. And we pray that you would fill all our brothers and sisters, married and single. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. and. Uh...